Hunter, I felt like uh, Vito Corleone this this evening as I was walking to my house, uh, <laughs> specifically from part two, because I, I, I opened the door and I uh, lifted up this rug, this area rug, uh, area carpet, area rug, area carpet, area rug, onto my shoulders. <laughs> And carried it into the house, and I didn't steal it, unlike uh, Vito had, and that was kind of his first like step into the criminal game. Hello, and welcome to Raise a Glass, the podcast where we talk about the stories and storytellers that shape us. Today, we're not going to be talking about one, but in fact, two parts to a three-part trilogy that nobody calls a three-part trilogy in fact uh if you know in case you were wondering what that was um for all those movie really film lovers out there we're gonna be talking about godfather the godfather part one and part two and uh don't worry we'll add the contentious nature of touching on part three even though many believe part three doesn't even exist as a movie but that's way too long of a preamble let me introduce myself my name is eric lintzela and I am Hunter Danson. And we're uh, so excited to be here with you today. We're back. Uh, as is, as is uh, tradition here on Raise a Glass, I got to know, Hunter, what's in your glass? Well, I not only have a glass, I have uh, a plate. Because I was trying to think of something a little creative to... Uh, I was trying to think of like what represents the American dream. Hmm. And I was, I got milk and a homemade chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> so, milk and cookies. There's a connection somehow. It's it's a very this desirable thing. Yeah. The the connection of this is going to be revealed in what's in my glass. Because uh, <laughs> I went a similar route. Uh, I mean, I've got a water on the table, but really, for my glass today, I made homemade sauce and meatballs. Oh. <laughs> And so my glass is full of pasta sauce and meatballs. So uh, you, you will hear me probably eating throughout the, the show because uh, it's yeah. also dinner time for me. And by that, I mean way past dinner time, but I haven't eaten yet. Um, but in fact, Hunter, I know we're not going to dive into the pod, the, the our, our conversation about the, the films just yet, but our, our two decisions, um, which were totally unplanned. <laughs> Uh, do a great job of framing the the movement uh, that I see in parts one and part two from mm. the the traditional Italian to the American. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's the first bite I've had of this sauce. Yeah, that's good. Let me try the meatball. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Family family tradition involves using cantadina sauce and um, puree and paste mm. instead of hunts or anything else. We couldn't get just cantadina because we couldn't find their puree. So we only had cantadina um, paste and used a different puree. Interesting. But still still very good. Yeah. Mm. Well, I eat joyfully. <laughs> Uh, what are you raising a glass or pouring one up to this week? Oh yeah, I'm uh, uh, I'm raising a glass to 
the post office worker who helped me out earlier today. I had to mail something and there were kind of dubious uh, instructions on how to package it. Um, and she was very helpful. I had my two-year-olds in the store with me and and he was fine, but uh, you know, <laughs> she was just very, very pleasant and very nice. Helped me pick the right envelope and it was very What's her name? Some version of Todd? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know her name, actually. <laughs> Toddarella or something? No, maybe. What is the female version of Todd? I don't know, but it sounds like she was a magician in, in the... Yeah. Uh, and I'm pouring one out for people who take up an entire a- uh, aisle at the grocery store by themselves. I can understand if it's like a family, but just one person and you have a you have like an aisle that's pretty wide, like a two-lane aisle. Two-lane aisle. Leave your cart on one side. Mm, stand not like stand in front and look at something on the other side. Oh, that's, yep. And you block the entire aisle and you're just one person. Just so inconsiderate. So inconsiderate. What a, what a horrible, horrible world we live in where people are blocking (laughs) an entire aisle with their cart and body. Yeah. To get one of the 30 types of Oreos on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, It was (laughs) like ice cream actually. (laughs) So sorry. hundred types. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am going to go reverse order. I am pouring one out for um, the process that is moving heavy um, appliances. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got a new, uh, new to us fridge mm-hmm. that Melanie found on a really good deal on Facebook Marketplace. And even though I had help and the trailer and like all the right things, and we, we have a ramp going up into our house. Like, hmm. then we had a dolly. Oh my goodness, Hunter, this process was infuriating because it was like 20 degrees outside and just yeah. couldn't get it out. And like, we've got one, two, three separate doors into our house. We couldn't get it up and through any of them. <laughs> I was getting so angry. And so, in fact, I'm going to raise a glass for um, friends with uh, cool heads um, <laughs> in the midst of um, intense situations. Yeah. We had a friend that uh, was like, hey, like, what if we just unscrewed this top of this railing uh, at the, the problem point of the ramp? And I was like, oh, I've never done that before. Mm. And I have to say, I'm going to do that forevermore. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. All right. Evermore. 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 That's a band, isn't it? I was going with the Raven, but... Yeah, well... Isn't that Evanescence? Well, yeah, there's Evanescence. I think Evanescence. Evanescence? Evanescence? I don't know. (laughs) Evanescence. Evanelephants. Evan, Evan, and Ev- Evanescence. Ev- Evanescence. Yeah. An essence of Evan. A, a, a scene of Evan. An Evane scene. Evanescence. Speaking of scenes. They're still around. They're having a 2022 truer. Wow. They were found in the, in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. 
Hmm. Sorry, what were you saying? Speaking of scenes, <laughs> The Godfather <laughs> has many scenes. Yes. Many memorable, Even a scene scenes. about Evan, Evan, a scene. Uh. <laughs> Hunter, we are talking about this movie. No, this, this, the, this film, the first two films. And that's, I'm going to call them films, not movies. Um, I think because of the impact they have on our culture and just the way that they're done, um, which annoys uh, Melanie and, and many other people way too much um, and makes me sound pretentious. I understand that. Um, because one of the primary reasons I wanted to bring it to us today is it is the 50th anniversary of Godfather Part 1 um, this year. And mm-hmm. so um, just think about how many movies have been created in 50 years and how few of them have had the impact on our culture that this film has. And not only this film, but two of the three films. So I am uh, 100% going to be talking a lot this evening because I'm very excited about this. Um, But before I kind of dive deeper into why I want to bring it and kind of maybe the impact it's had on me, I would love to know what your interactions with The Godfather and Godfather Part 2 were uh, prior to the last couple weeks. Um, I hadn't seen them uh, until pretty recently. Uh, I'd seen Part 1 maybe a year ago. Um, Kim and I were trying to watch like the... um, the 100 greatest movies list trying to watch movies on that godfather was on there so we did godfather part one and i mean i was aware of it because like how can you not be aware of the godfather it's been parodied in so many different things and um you know quoted to me by many people um (laughs) uh but yeah that was the first time I'd, i'd watched part one all the way through Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Um, I, I have this thing with like great movies. It's similar to um, my situation with, with Taylor Swift where uh, like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of greatness, I guess. <laughs> um, so, and I liked it, you know, um, and I can see why it's. So is that good for you? Is that good for you to like something that you're skeptical of? Is that impressive? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, I could see why it is lauded so much just because of the filmmaking techniques and uh, the cinematography and the acting and everything um, <laughs> that went into it. And you just named like every part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a very well done film and uh, part two is as well. And, I was even more skeptical of part two because I, part two has been even lauded even more than part one. And um, I think personally, I liked part one more. At le- I, like the watching was more enjoyable for me, but I, I do recognize part two as like a very, very good film. Um, 
but we we can get a little more into my reactions later on. Um, but that's kind yeah. of my that's where I come from. Um, okay. I don't really have a personal connection to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, let me get get this away. Get rid of the, get this out before uh, anybody asks, because it's important to remember that we're not a ratings podcast. We're not that's not why we're here. Um, yeah. But whenever I talked about talk about Godfather films. There are a couple of questions people ask. Um, the first question per- people ask um, is usually like part one or part two, which I better. And my answer is actually similar to yours. Um, personally, I enjoy watching part one more, but I, I think part two is a better movie, a uh, better film. Um, I just, I think it's, but that doesn't mean I enjoy it more. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know if there were movies or films that had done what part two did before. Um, and like the parallel storytelling and and the way that both pieces continue the arc of part, it's just incredible. Um, and then the second question I always get asked is, this is a question, but it's always said as like communicated as a statement. <laughs> and the statement is some version of, uh, Part, th- you know, there's only two, right? Part three doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I agree that part one and part two are the Godfather series, I also believe that there are a couple key moments of part three that I'll talk about a little bit later today that finish story arcs specifically around um, Michael Corleone that now give that, that add, add, they don't, they add to parts one and two, not in a significant way as in if they stopped existing, like I wouldn't be that big of a loss, but um, I'm not willing to say that part three is a worthless movie. Um, so mm-hmm. those are the two pieces that people typically ask me. Um, I have one question. Yeah. How did you come to um, be interested in The Godfather? Because not only do you like the films, you also wrote a thesis on the films. Um, and I remember watching a certain movie with you, and it was it was kind of bloody. Um, and you just shut it off. You're like, I can't watch this. It's too bloody. <laughs> and The Godfather is a very bloody series, um, very dark. Uh, there are light moments sometimes, not, not really in part two, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if I, if I remember correctly, the movie that I think I shut off was like the, the Legion or something like that. It was about like reclaiming, yeah. it was like the Romans, like reclaiming the, yeah. the eagle or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so just a quick piece to that, I, I think I, my views on goriness have changed a little bit. I love the John Wick movies, um, mm-hmm. but I also prefer, this is going to be really, sound terrible. Uh, I prefer killing that's like more glorified than like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like deep and like gruesome, like, like um, maybe not gruesome, but like, um, like more like what an actual battle would be like. Does that make sense? Uh, so you you like stylistic yeah. violence? 
Yeah, stylistic uh, brutality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe that would change. I don't know. Um, but to your point, my first real introduction to The Godfathers Part 1 and Part 2 were my senior year of college. Um, and I was mm. writing a, a thesis, or I had a, a I was t- um I wrote three theses my senior year of college. Uh, do not recommend that other people do that. <laughs> um, I also didn't know I'd have to write three uh, when the, no. the year began. Um, <laughs> Such a stupid move. Um, but I got through. And so this one, I think, was spring of, 20, of, of my senior year. And... I was taking a film course uh, called Raging Gods, which is about mm. the um, the films of Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese um, and how they communicated their Italian-American values um, and different views and, and portrayals of God. Mm. Um, and so we watched a whole list of movies. Let me just kind of flip through. My, my, the Conversation by Francis Ford Co- Coppola um apocalypse now that was super intense um the godfather part one and part two that's somebody i was praying for uh who's that knocking at my door by martin scorsese or look who's knocking at my door um i guess i wrote a lot about that one mean streets by martin scorsese taxi driver um more of the conversation Godfather, Raging Bull, Rumblefish. Um, I wrote a lot of notes. Uh, And so um, these were two of the the films in that course. And I am a person, I've loved watching movies for a long time. I've loved it. I just, I I think movies are amazing. Um, I love, and and I've learned. Um, how to enter into a movie as if the movie is the world, mm. um, which is, it, it takes time to learn how to do that, I think. Um, but it means that when I enter, like when my kind of viewpoint, and this was my, my professor for this course, was a professor I took like four or five courses with, I think he was pretty helpful in that. Um, but my viewpoint when I watch a movie, especially for the first time, is the world, the, the world, the director, producer, every everybody's created is the world. Period. Mm. I'm going to enter into that world and experience it. And when you enter a movie or a film like that, you enter without that. You don't think ahead, unless the movie like forces you to, like wants mm. you to, and so you experience it as the characters are experiencing it, which is how I love reading books. Mm-hmm. It's how I love reading, listening to music. It's how I love doing everything. And, and it allows you to be surprised and shocked and confused and annoyed and angry. And although I can't remember the exact first moments I watched this, these movies, like I know, <laughs> I know those were all feelings I felt. And so part of, part of the reason that I kind of connected with them and chose to write a thesis on them was because of the world that these two films create is just 
so unique in that there are so few films that are strong enough to create that complex of a world that you can enter into without like being like, yeah, but I see the edge, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, the Truman show, I see the ed- edge of the box in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's possible in these, like you just assume the world's so much bigger. And, um, so that's a piece of it. Uh, another large piece of it is I am, um, my mom's side of the family is, t- uh, Sicilian. And, um, you know, we're not from Corleone, um, (laughs) Sicilian family and on both sides of my mom's, both my mom's parents. And so I was raised, um, with family celebrations where a small celebration had 20 or more people, Mm. um, where there was always an incredible amount of food followed by an incredible amount of food, followed by an incredible amount of desserts, (laughs) followed by an incredible amount of Italian desserts. So even the sauce I'm making now is a a recipe that goes back to my great-grandma, I think. Mm. Um, And just an important note for those out there, uh, sauce, uh, sauce and meatballs, um, went from the United States to Italy back to the United States, Um, just in case anybody's wondering, because tomatoes are a new world. produce so it's true uh just some interesting uh pieces there but um there's that aspect of it where um my grandpa uh who's passed away um was just a connector of people and Mm. just loved being around people and was all of the good parts of Vito corleone without any with none of the bad parts (laughs) does that make sense yeah. Like just a true family guy. Like he was just focused on his family. He loved his family. He fought in world war two and, um, was like, end up donating over a hundred or uh, what is the number? This is ridiculous. Like a hundred thousand hours of his life mm. or 50,000 hours of his life to the VA hospital. Mm. Um, just caring for veterans, teaching them how to golf, talking with them, yeah, um, sorting mail as he was getting older, um, and my grandma did that with him mm. um, for years and years and years. And I got to do that with them. Uh, I got to go to the golf range with them. My grandpa taught me how to golf while we were volunteering. Mm. I got to. Uh, I've, I have so many good memories of of being at the VA hospital uh, in the summer on Thursdays and wanting to go, f- being so excited for the lunch because they had the perfectly p- chilled. Um, chocolate milk. It was like exactly 43 degrees or whatever. Mm. It's the correct temperature and consistency. <laughs> and so I just love my grandparents. And so there's a piece in which, um, and this, this is one of those things that the, the films do so good, so well, is it um, that it felt a little bit like home, um, especially part one. And I think that's part of the reason part one's a, a, a more enjoyable film is you feel like you are, like it, it has the joy of life and there's no joy of life in part two um, at all. And that's, um, and that's something that actually there's a lot of people that have been gotten angry at the Godfather uh, part one, especially for um, communicating an aspect of Italian mafia and machoism 
that is not true to the whole of the world, which is true. Um, But I think that's also an important piece to just note at the beginning is there are so many parallels and so many things that tie into Italian American culture at that time Mm -hmm. um, that are just so rich throughout this, these, these, these films. Um, And at the same point, they also create their own world. So if you're trying to look at it as a, this is what was happening in the world at that time. That's not healthy. That's not how they're created. Um, that was not um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's goal. Um, it was, you know, because ultimately the goal of movies is to sell, mon- sell. Yeah. Um, and and these movies did. Um, and they're two of the few movies to be able to sell to a popular audience while also being so well critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. So that's my my uh, short answer to your question. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. So, Hunter, I, as you shared, wrote a thesis on these that if we could figure out how to put them, connect them to the show notes or in our in uh, the Patreon, we will do that. Yeah, you can uh, read it with all of its beautiful spelling errors and everything. Um, my general thesis is that as the Corleone family shifts as the Corleone leadership shifts from Vito Corleone to Michael Corleone. The mafia family is elevated at the loss of the traditional Italian American family. Um, so another way of wording that or another aspect of it is the pursuit of the American dream not only kills the Italian um, Catholic Italian Catholic values of the Corleone um, immediate family, um, but it um, ultimately leads to Michael's demise hmm. uh, and the death of all of his his um, brothers and family. Um, and this is actually a challenge using the word family because um, there's two different families so clearly intertwined throughout um, part one and part two, and it's the mafia family and the kind of the... Um, the blood related family, but not everybody's blood related. Um, like Tom. Um, and so Hunter, what is it? I I don't know. I, I am going to talk about a few different aspects of it, but what did you think about that? I'm interested because you just read it. Yeah. I haven't asked you at all about it. And it's something (laughs) I wrote, what, six years ago. Yeah. Um, at at a time that I was still learning how to write. I'm Mm -hmm. sure. I think we still always are, but, yeah. Um, it, it mirrored a lot of my own thoughts about <clears throat> um, Godfather Part Two and the, the overall arc of both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, because you talked a lot about the American dream uh, and how, how Michael kind of, he pursues the American dream and American individualism, um, maybe not pursues it, but he he utilizes his Amer- American individualism in his pursuit um, for power, and well, utilizes not the right word either. He he incorporates it into his um, leadership style, and 
ultimately it takes over uh it takes over everything um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i noticed a couple spelling mistakes. Oh, of course of course yeah and but, at one point uh, I, I repeated a paragraph yeah i saw I that too i was like wait a second <laughs> yeah i was saying the same uh, thing yeah but uh i mean the, uh, it was good i think you were right um and you, it was, it was nice to, um, get a little bit of part three because you told me not to watch it. Well, you told me it was inferior and then it doesn't, didn't matter. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, but maybe you could talk about some of those moments from yeah part three that tie in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely do that in a moment. I'm just realizing we never actually uh, gave a summary of these movies. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of places I'm sure you can find one online. But just the general idea um, is uh, part one is a movie about the Corleone family starting in um, Vito Corleone's um, study. He's the Don. He's the, the mafia leader, but the word mafia is not brought up. Um, and it's a story about him um, losing, being shot, and then his son, and then his next son, Michael, taking over leadership of the family. And then part two is about Michael's leadership of his family, of the mafia family, Corleone mafia family, um, that is paralleled um, by Vito's coming to America as a little kid and how he started the Corleone mafia family. Hmm. Um, Any extra level of depth to that all of a sudden would require so much additional... (laughs) information um yeah so you're asking about part three um well i did want to share your your last paragraph if that's all right Um, yeah because i think it it is a great summary um our college that's named after a founding father without a father uh put a put an emphasis on writing um and I think this last paragraph is a good example of writing a good conclusion. Mm. Uh, when Michael takes over, he uses the Corleone family's power and influence to further his American agenda of achieving the American dream of fame and wealth. He pursues this aim no matter what the cost and plays to both sides of his personality his traditional Catholic Italian heritage and his adopted secular American lifestyle to get ahead. Michael, quote, no longer places his Italian background first, end quote, which forces him to lead a double life where he lies to himself and to his family before ultimately choosing the American mafia and leaving, quote, only vestiges of Italian culture under his autocratic patriarchy. By choosing America, Michael gets to the top, but in the process compromises all of his father's ideals and destroys his family, which he eventually realizes too late 
is what he cares about the most. That's uh, about as good as uh, as I could put it. <laughs> but you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks for for reading that. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I also I, I highlighted that last sentence. I was complete. I was very pleasantly surprised as I read this paper. Mm. Well, yeah, it's. It's always nice when you're pleasantly surprised by your own writing. <laughs> Sometimes so I'll read what I wrote and be like, I wrote that? I couldn't write that. No. <laughs> like, good and bad. Like, mm-hmm. Usually it's like I'm surprised. Like, oh, I'm a better writer than maybe I thought. Maybe that sounds prideful. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Hunter, I wrote down a list of things I want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. A lot of them are related to the movies. Um, here I was at the beginning, I was going to say, I was just going to call them films and I'm calling them movies. So I've dropped the pretentious way of life. I am now <laughs> just a humble Eric. Um, uh-huh. An Eric without a capital letter. That's it. Who is frequently present, pleasantly surprised by his old writing. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, dang it. Um, <laughs> uh. <clears throat> mm. okay. Whatever. We're just going to go for it. <clears throat> there are some movie some parts of the these movies that just stick in everybody's minds. Um and the ending of the well really both the beginning and the ending of the first movie are are two of those. The first movie begins with the statement of a funeral parlor uh, owner saying, I believe in America. And then talking about the experience and uh, Tavito of his daughter being assaulted and almost killed by her boyfriend and his friends. And saying that he went through the the American court system and had all the evidence, but the man, boy, and his friends walked free and laughed in his face. And then Vito responds um, to Bonacera, which is the name of the, the funeral home um, owner, saying... Um, why did you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? And of course, and behind him, there's these blinds that just remind you of a, of a confessional because they're horizontal. And there's just this movie is, these movies are so like stock full of overt religious symbolism. Hmm. Um, and so there's this scene, right? He then pretty much says, oh, be my friend. And then um, kisses his rings. And then that statement of, <clears throat> let me see if I can quote it specifically. Someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do me a service in return. Uh, and the what, what is the currency in this space? The currency is 
um, respect and friendship and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it starts there, right? That's how, what an iconic way to begin. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of this huge Italian wedding. Um, Come to me like, on the day of my daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Such a famous scene. Yes, yes. And th- but the, that's, that's where it starts, mm-hmm. right? And then you have lines like, um, leave the body, take the cannoli, um, which is just another iconic line. Mm. Um, and then, you know, things people forget. Part of the way through this movie, Michael Corleone ends up in Corleone, France. Cor- France, that's it, yeah. Uh, in Corleone, Italy. And there's like this whole like 30-minute segment or 20-minute segment yeah. of him like in Corleone, like where he gets married. And like none of it, almost none of it's in English. Um, I remember that scene very vividly, actually. Like, it's just me personally, yeah. Uh, it's it's just like it's like he wants to live a different life, mm-hmm. and he does. But the old life comes and finds him, and mm-hmm. blows up his wife, <laughs> yeah. and in the American car, right? Yeah, in the yeah. American ideal, yeah. Like, people forget about that. And then, you know, this is also, part one is a movie that has the scene of the horse's head ending up in the bed, which is, again, one of the most iconic scenes of all time, of any movie. And you could talk about this mo- about Godfather Part 1 for two hours and never talk about it. <laughs> like, tell me how many other movies have so many iconic pieces. Because, like, I haven't even talked about the most iconic piece, right? Mm. Right, the final scene of this movie is one of the most jarring and like stunning scenes in history. Right, the baptism of mm-hmm. Michael Corleone's nephew while he is being baptized in the blood of the other heads of the five mafia families. Yeah. It feels almost inevitable. You're watching it. It's like this. Because uh, they, they, they never, ex- I don't think he, he ever explicitly says what his plan is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, because it's the Godfather. And, and it's also Michael who has shown. Uh, his penchant for vengeance. Um, and it, it, it rolls with the momentum um, and switches back and forth between the, the baptism and the, uh, the murders. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, listened to a, quote of of al ruddy who is the producer for the godfather and then there's all sorts of fascinating things you can learn and read um and hear but he was talking about opening showing in new york he was in the theater and the show ends it was silent he's like nobody nobody clapped nobody cheered everybody got up and left like silent and he said i had no idea if that was a good thing or a bad thing. 
and of course, right, the impact of it. Like, I, I've been really excited to have this conversation for weeks now, uh, probably for a couple months, because I knew we were going to have this one coming up some point uh, this this fall or winter. And what just, is the uh, yeah? What is what is your favorite scene? Not necessarily the the best one or like the most iconic one, but what's your favorite? Give me some time to think about that. I'm gonna have to come back a little bit later in this discussion. Because so many aspects of this movie do so many different things, like but yeah. these movies, um, and 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 maybe kind of to 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 begin my way of thinking through that answer, and you know, an external processor, which makes uh, me at least a a large part of the percentage of of listening that you have to hear on this <laughs> podcast, if not a large part of the percentage of interesting communication that you hear. Um, is is that I love the focus on family, and that's something that Vito Corleone focuses on his entire the entirety ex- explicitly throughout the first movie, and implicitly throughout the second movie, um, and. Like to the extent where, ah, man, I made so many notes on this and everything I wrote. But like he says that what makes a man is loving his family. Mm. Um, And that everything he did is for his family. Um, And even part two, um, and I, this is one of those things that kind of surprised me reading this, the thesis. Um, And I don't know how many of the thoughts were my own versus kind of a conglomeration of so many different people Mm -hmm. I'd read. Um, but the idea that Vito Corleone's coming to America paralleled and cut into the scenes of Anthony Corleone's uh, baptism, Anthony's Michael's son, connect uh, Vito and Anthony in a deeper way than Michael's ever connected to his son. Hmm. Um, and that was just a what? Um, well, maybe we can um, mention something else as as an interlude. Is what do you think about the representation uh, in this movie? Yeah. So I um, and we'll, we'll share this in the notes. I, I was listening to a podcast as recent, like in this year um, uh, from NPR about the Italian American representation, in this movie and the response at the time. Um, and because many Italian Americans were not for this movie and there was a lot of contention about it while it was going into production. And sadly enough, um, one of the major voices against it uh, that was then appeased was the leader of one of the mafia families uh, yeah. who was also the Italian uh, American cultural head for New York city or something like that. Um, and so his whole, like there's this whole conversation of again, the producer already talking with, with him uh, that the producer talks about 
where he pretty much hit the point of like, okay, what's it going to take for me to, for you to turn your no into a yes? He said, well, I'm going to be honest, stop mentioning the word mafia. He said, deal. And so the only time the mafia is the word mafia is, is ever brought up and it's brought up three times in parts one and two is during a courtroom scene where Michael Corleone is denying uh, any affiliation with the mafia. So yeah. it's brought up three times and all of them are denials. Um, which is fascinating. Um, and the response uh, at the time was, um, I guess a lot of Italian Americans were being shown as either mafia, like they were part of mafia or as like aloof idiots. And so yeah. that was a big response was, well, those are, those are, those can't be our only two options. Um, we can't either be Fredo or Michael like those. That's not fair. Um, sorry, Fredo. I like Fredo <laughs> a lot. Um, and his death in part two is probably one of the saddest mo- parts of the whole movie of, of the whole, of both the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually at the time that this was part, that part one was brought out. There was a group in, I think it was Kansas city. Um, I think maybe it was maybe it was Cincinnati or somewhere. Um, that there's an Italian American cultural group that bought out a theater so that nobody would go to the opening showing as a statement. Yeah. Um, and and I hear that and I I understand. Like I, I maybe don't understand. That's a dangerous word to say, but I. Can in some ways empathize with the, the response of Italian Americans saying, Hey, this is not my culture. Like stop, like stop looking at me and saying bang, bang. When I say I'm Italian American, mm. like, you know, are you in the mafia? Like that's, that's an inappropriate thing to do. Um, and this movie was such a cultural hit that it did shape American views on you know, international views on Italian Americans. Uh, yeah. But that wasn't my experience growing up. I mean, we are now 50 years removed from it. And mm-hmm. so, like, I wasn't introduced to this by my family. I was introduced to it when I was, what, in my 20s. Um, yeah. And so I saw it, and I was like, you know, and I, I shared that earlier. Like, I love the the pieces that it brought up of, like, ah, yeah, my family used to, you know, to, to eat that food and, and celebrate together in huge gatherings. Um. And like to me, the, the 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 joyful parts were reminded the playing with my grandfather. And honestly, one of the, my favorite parts of this of part one of, of of both of them is is that point of Vito playing with his grandson at the end yeah. among the tomato bushes. Um, I just think it's such a beautiful, heartwarming sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like my ultimate goal in life is to die laughing, uh, mm-hmm. not like maniacally laughing, but like a good. <laughs> heartfelt laugh um yeah and like in many ways Vito's death is like the ideal um you know he, his family's all around him like even if they're not right there but he's outside in this beautiful sunny day playing with his grandkid um you know he's retired he's he's and I'm gonna say this somewhat jokingly but also very truthfully he's accomplished the American dream <laughs> right all of his kids yeah. are in a better position now than he was 
Um, they have wealth, they have power, they have each other. Um, and that to me is, is the strength of the first movie. And without that strength in the first movie, the second movie would be not nearly as good because the second movie doesn't tell that story. Yeah. Michael ends in a very different place. Yeah. He also ends kind of, well, you're talking about the end of part two, right? Yeah. And uh, from what I read in your thesis, he ends differently in part three as well. Yeah. I think to answer your question, Hunter, I don't know if I have a favorite scene. Um, I think it's the feel of the first movie. I love the, like the Italian, the wedding scene isn't my favorite scene, but I love the feel of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I love the, the, the feel of these, this, the hot and cold, um, but mm-hmm. still being shown within like a, a, a light and that light disappears uh, in, in the second movie. And like, actually, the filming technique changes between the telling of Vito's story and the filming and the, the sto- telling of Michael's story. Mm. The light and like, the, it's almost fuzzy around Vito Corleone. Yeah, um, and it's it's stark, and it's dark and full of shadows around Michael. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, it's not completely dark because it, it's like there's a lot of contrast uh, mm-hmm. at least that's what I noticed watching part two. And I think one scene in particular struck me um, is the night after the, um, the what's, what's the ceremony called the Catholic ceremony, Anthony's um, first communion, first communion. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> is they, they zoom out and they show there's like the, where they're all dancing and celebrating and stuff. And there's these neon lights um, reflected in this, in the black water Mm. of the bay. Uh, And you see the motorboat going by. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, something's going to happen here. Um, And it was, I wrote, I wrote down some reactions. I didn't really send them to you because hardly any of them were funny. Um, <laughs> there's no humor in part two. Yeah. The, the, the only like mildly funny thing that I wrote down was, um, at one point Michael eats an orange. Um, and I said, I've never seen a man eat an orange like an apple before. So, so uh, the, uh, I just want to speak to that cause you're, you're right. <laughs> that was a very weird straight scene. Um, the, the, there's a lot of implied humor in part two. So at the end of part one, once it was like put in theaters, there was a large kind of like statement brought up, right? One of the things that audiences notice, and of course, audiences always notice something that the directors don't play on, was just the amount of citrus in part one. Like oh. when Vito's shot, like he's like playing like with the grapefruit or an orange, and there's oranges all around and like throughout the whole thing. It was completely accidental. It wasn't purposeful. And so then as like an homage to that in part two, there are oranges everywhere. (laughs) Like it's almost Uh, like every 20 minutes. And this is a three hour and 20 minute movie. I think there's an orange that shows up. 
Uh, it's yeah. very purposeful. As and I'm convinced, it's a way to just kind of add humor to a movie that doesn't have humor. <laughs> like the only actual joke that's told, I think, is the joke Hyman Roth shares right before he's assassinated at point blank range. Hmm. Yeah. He's like, I came back to the United States because uh, they wouldn't let me send it in an absentee ballot in Israel. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just... It's, it's, sorry. Yeah. And I, I wrote for that scene, so bright and so dark. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like the scenes with Michael are black and white, mm-hmm. except they're not. Yeah. And the scenes with Vito are sepia it's like they're fuzzy yeah but it's like also like tinges of brown and orange yeah gold like this kind of dusty bronze it's hunter 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 i could just talk about so many aspects of this movie and it's so hard (laughs) because i'm trying to decide in a few and Why don't I talk about a, a, a view that I have, and then I'm going to ask a question to you. Um, okay. And I think um, these, this view and these, this question kind of might be a little bit stirring in mm. some thoughts. So it's widely agreed that part three is just not a movie you should count. Uh, it's not part of the same conversation. And a lot of people actually ignore it completely um, when they're talking about things. Um, but the reason, two reasons I, I've really kind of keep parts of it um, is because of two like, theories that I think are, could bo- are, are both accurate. The first is um, the loss of like your family at the cost of, of po- going for power and fame and political piece and that's the this first movie ends with Vito Corleone playing in his tomato garden uh, with an orange peel in his mouth kind of makes it looks like he's a vampire Um, he falls over um, has a heart attack and dies Um, the second movie ends with Mike Corleone sitting at his Reno estate listening to the resonating sound of the gunshot that killed his brother, Fredo, that he ordered the hit on months before it ever happened. Um, and then envisioning the um, the moment where he told Pearl Harbor Day, when he told his older brother, Sonny, that he was joining World War II. Um, and uh, in Sonny's words, pretty much to fight for, um, to not fight for his family but to fight for strangers, um, which is a very huge statement against the Italian-American piece. And then the third movie ends with Michael sitting on a chair, a metal chair, in Corleone, uh, daydreaming to three dances he had. Um, One with um, his... uh, one with K in the second movie, one with um, oh, yes, um, his first wife um, in Italy. Um, her name starts with an A. It'll come to me a little bit later. 
and then the third one with his daughter. And he's sitting in Corleone by himself as an old man in this chair. Anatola? Or no. Apollonia? Apollonia. Apollonia, of course. Um, and then he just keels over and like awkwardly falls and the chair like collapses and he lands on his face dead and his dog comes and sniffs him. And it's this, this theme of just, you know, you can gain the world and lose your soul and lose everything. And that's what he's done. Um, so that's one theme I see. And the second theme kind of within that same piece, um, or that, that I think is also true is, Michael is seeking for legitimacy throughout these movies. And it starts with leaving the family business uh, to join the military and maybe become a politician, which is his dad's dream for him to have nothing to do with the family business. And he tells Kay, um, first time we see them, the first time we see them and they're running late for the wedding. He said, that's my family, Kay. It's not me. And then at the end of part one, he says um, that in five years, the Corleone family is going to be completely legitimate. Um, so he's trying to seek what, by the time he takes over leadership, he's still trying to seek legitimacy within the family, like within the dealings they do. So he goes from it trying to seek it um, like as a soldier um, and maybe in politics to then well, as a soldier, then to while he's in the family, trying to seek legitimacy in their business. And then in, Part two, one of the very things, first things that happens is um, Kay, as they're dancing together, uh, that dance that he thinks of right when he dies in part three, funny enough, um, Kay says, you know, you said that in five years, the Corleone family would be completely legitimate. That was seven years ago, Michael. And he said, I know, Kay, I'm trying. Uh, and he's trying to seek legitimacy in part two through politics, through the government corrupt senators through lying to the Supreme court or lying to the judicial boards through the Cuban government. Right. Um, and he's the, he's further up. He's getting, he's like, it's, you can't find legitimacy. And then part three, the theme that I see continue is he's trying to find legitimacy within the church. Hmm. So he goes to Italy and is in the Vatican and is trying to find legitimacy within the bishops. And it's full of bribery. It's full of um, blackmail. Uh, and and it's this piece is the farther up he goes, find, trying to find legitimacy, he's just completely struck down time and time and time again. And I just think that's fascinating. I think that's such an incredible, like an intriguing storyline. And I think that's a place where the third movie ties in by kind of continuing that story arc. Hmm. So those are two pieces that I've noticed. Um, and then my question, um, which is in my mind related, um, but I'm sure in many minds won't be, um, is it's related to this idea that the first two people talk about the first two movies. And then the third one, which I think came out 25 years later, hmm. they say it just doesn't even count. And so Hunter, my question for you, especially as a, as a storyteller, uh, you are, uh, is who controls so there, who controls so the air quotes yeah. a story after it is shared and who has the final say on it hmm
I think no one controls it. Um, you could say the author. The author has control when they're writing, when they're making it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's hard because uh, art to me is is an expression of self and no matter how you try to dress it up and say that it, it might be it's something totally separate I, d- I don't think it's possible to completely erase the fingerprints of the artist um, mm-hmm. or to completely ignore them no matter what it is really um, even if it's just kind of some uh, <clears throat> like boss baby seven or something like someone had to create that and you might not know them and you might not be able to recognize it but like a person had a part in it and you might be able to find some evidence of that person and so movies are interesting because they're uh the work of a lot of different people um Mm -hmm. and you know hundreds of people working on movies um but no one really controls the conversation. It's like there's a consensus, you know, there's a critical consensus. There's a um, audience consensus measured by like the uh, box office and the um, general conversation. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can say like someone controls the conversation because at the end of the day, no matter what you say on Twitter, you can't control the experience that I have with the movie. The experience that I have when I'm watching the movie is personal to me and what I'm going through at the time. Mm-hmm. Like when I watched Godfather part two, I just, I've at the end of it, I just felt like Michael sitting in that chair, um, which I think is more a reflection of how I felt at the time and the mood I was <laughs> in. I was, I, you know, I had, I was like getting sick. I had the flu, um, and it's just a very broody movie and I was in a very broody mood and it just kind of brought me into that, um, funk (laughs) and, uh, um, what was the, the second part of it? Uh, who controls the story after it's shared and, I can't remember actually. Um, I didn't write the second part down. Um, but I had a question based off what you just shared. Okay. Uh, because this is kind of uh, the second part, in, maybe not the second question I asked, but the second part I'm wondering is how does time play into this? So this is where I think they're, these are related. Hmm. Part two finishes, and it's about 25 years before part three. In that time, there was views on what had happened, right? The story was told, people were, um, obviously it wasn't Twitter, but people were talking about it, their critical claims and all these pieces. And then, and I'm sure there are many pieces, reasons for this, um, and I I can't remember if Francis Ford Coppola even wanted to write the third movie. He only wrote the first one because it was almost getting broke. And I think the second one he wrote so he could then write, um, direct, 
uh, diff- the conversation, which I'm, <laughs> he got like a, his own budget for that because he did Godfather Part Two. I think it was some crazy story like that. Uh-huh. Um, but then he writes Part Three, and he creates a definitive ending. Hmm. He says, "This is how the story arc goes," and we could talk about it with that. But then let's just also think about a couple other examples of this happening, right? To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Harper Lee dies. And then we have Ghost Side of Watchmen. Star Wars. Episode six ends. Now then we not only do we have the prequels trilogy, but then we have episode seven. And Luke's entire story arc has changed. Um, yeah. And without you talking about any maybe of those specifics. Mm-hmm. Do you think do those count as authoritative authoritative tellings? Mm. Insofar as they're canon. But when my head canon conflicts strongly enough, if I have if I have a big enough reason to uh, disagree <laughs> with the decisions. If I don't like the decisions that they make, my own headcanon takes uh, uh, priority, I guess. Like, which isn't to say that, uh, like, it, it's it's like, I mean, they made it. I didn't have any part in making it. So I I don't have any illusions about a sense of entitlement to the characters. But at the same time, sometimes I just think they make bad decisions. Like in mm-hmm. Game, Game of Thrones, season seven and eight, just horrible decisions. Um I mean, it, some people liked it, but <laughs> they were wrong. I, I felt I felt very strongly about the decisions that they made for the characters, and mm-hmm. um, and it felt rushed, and and that 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 sort of thing happens with movies and, uh, and books too, and but it's like. It's like the go- the government technically has authority over my place of residence. Like technically I am within the jurisdiction of the United States, you know. Mm-hmm. But the government doesn't have jurisdiction over my life. Um and and that's that's the kind of way in my experience within the jurisdiction of the United States. I believe that my life is ultimately more important than any um, government uh, labeling, you know, and and the lives of everyone else. Not trying to say like my life is more important than America because America is, is all of the people of America. I'm saying just the, like the government designation, the papers Mm. um, and the numbers that, they used to uh, keep tabs <laughs> and and uh, 
do all the bureaucracy and stuff. It's, it's this kind of, um, it's, it's kind of, my experience with stories is kind of like a, kind of a spiritual area, I guess. Um, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, they, they made it. So they have the official authority, but ultimately like, so you can't totally ignore it. Um, but if you don't like it and, uh, you feel that it doesn't, um, that it's not true to the characters that you know and love, then you don't, you don't have to pay attention to it. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. I, I, my thought is somewhat similar. Um, and I'm not sure if you disagree with it. So I'm going to say it. Um, when a story is shared, it's pregame. Anybody in my mind has control over it. What the author intended is doesn't matter. Uh, if it wasn't communicated and if it wasn't what people took away with it. Um, and I'm interested to hear their thoughts about what they attended. Maybe, maybe, oh, I see that. But I don't think their, I don't think their voice is the authoritative piece on it after it's been created. Um, I also think, and maybe this is a space where I'm not really sure what your response will be, um, that there's an element of time that plays into things. Hmm. So after I, I, it's almost like a reverse correlation of um, the longer the period has been, the less voice the author has if they create another sequel to that story. So in my mind, 25 years is kind of past the statute of limitations almost. Uh, yeah, and and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, Francis Ford Coppola created this, but like this is not the Godfather. This is a at that point, and this is this is the piece. Like at that point, I would call it fan fiction. Um, fan fiction created by the author. Um, <laughs> I think it's a, a different like parallel like, parallel parallel piece, and that's I I I don't know if people agree with me on that, um, but what do you think about that? Um, I mean, I think there's, I think I agree with the, the spirit of it, not necessarily the specifics. I'm not willing to put a, that hard of a, of a, I'm not willing to define it that concretely, Okay, I guess. But I do agree that when something has existed for so long, uh, and has, especially something like the Godfather that has such such a big influence on film and, and culture. It's, it's almost fruitless to try and continue it. Um, which is how I, is, is how I feel about star Wars. Uh, mm. and, um, many of the stuff that a lot of the stuff that Disney does, um, no matter how well done it is, I can't help feeling that there's an original story out there, a new thing that can, mm. that deserves the resources um, that they're pouring into these, these films mm. and TV shows. And, and it's, it's not a matter of like, they're all bad. It's just a matter of what good are they missing? 
Um, and so, I mean, I guess it, it's hard to define fan fiction too. I, I mean, it's, it's fiction that is written by someone other than the author would be the hard definition of it. But I, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's sort of like, maybe not the best example, but when J.K. Rowling went back and retroactively said, oh, Albus Dumbledore is gay. Like, okay, but you should have put that in the story in the first place. You can't just go back and say it, you know? Um, she also went back and said that Ron and uh, Hermione shouldn't have been together too. Yeah, like too. you already wrote and, and that's, it. Like that's that to me is part of like the piece that I'm like leaning towards is this space of like the author saying, "No, this is maybe not those specific, but those obviously came to mind." Like this is this is what I was communicating. Or like um, I don't know, the Matrix, the original Matrix had um, Will Smith casted as Neo, and Sean Connery casted as Mor- casted as Morpheus. Yeah. Very different movie, right? <laughs> um, but instead, we have um, you know the actual casting of 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 the Matrix, and now all of a sudden it's kind of a white savior movie. Uh, and so when I first heard that, I was you know I was like, no, this is like the heart behind what they were trying to do was such that it wouldn't be a white savior, but the mm. reality of what was compute created and communicated. Yeah. as a white savior. And it's like, okay, at that point, like that's what we have to work on. Yeah. Which is the opposite side of the conversation from what you were just sharing. And I interrupted you. So please continue. No, I, um, I mean, I understand where it comes from because like sometimes you, you realize that you made a mistake. I mean, no piece of art is perfect. Um, and you want to change it, but the truth is, you know, if it's, if it's already published and especially if it's like been published for many years, like you, you can't change it. You, you got to move on and write something better. Um, that's my opinion. And I hope that I can hold myself to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's my ideal, I guess. Thanks for kind of going on that with me. I, I had conversations about like I think this is such an interesting conversation. It's a, yeah, something I like to talk about. Death to of the about. author, I think, is what we're getting to. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for asking it. Um, it is a topic you could tell I have a lot of thoughts on. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm of the opinion. I think that as people who commu- can consume or like, and think about stories, like we are, we become part of the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so it's, once it's released, like once the story is shared, like we're all part of the telling of it. And, and I think there are more accurate views on things and just trying to think of the ways in which kind of what I could be saying, it could be misconstrued. Um, yeah. But I think it's it's a really fascinating to me the way that good art and good stories like 
and even bad stories. Um, like we're part of the storytelling of them. Like right, we're part of the not just the cultural milieu, but like the, <laughs> the actual like our view on maybe we we'll, my view on what's happening with Ready Player One and where it's going. Like is I I'd be willing to fight. Uh, Ernest Klein about about it. it you know, <laughs> it, it, it's like yes, this is maybe what, what you intended, but like this is the story that's being communicated to me. And yeah, this is you know this is where I see it in what you've written and in the world around us and these pieces and yeah. Of course, I keep putting on him. So sorry. Well, it's I'm I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> I, I think that's why I do it. <laughs> uh, What was I going to say? Well, that's why our podcast is about the stories and storytellers that shape us. Uh, because stories, as much as they are a product of individuals, they do have a life of their own. And for me personally, it's very hard to parse where the life of the author stops and where the life of the story (laughs) starts because it's all mixed together. It's kind of, Mm -hmm. um, Probably sounding a little transcendentalist here, but you know, we are all one. We are all humans and we all have something in common. We share a common spirit of humanity. Um, And I think stories uh, connect us in that way. Uh, You know, we're, we're not just, we're not just talking to another person where, you know, kind of getting a glimpse of another person's soul and their imagination. And yeah, something more too. Well, Hunter, I would like to, before we finish tonight, um, dive into part two a little bit. Um, and in, in this, I'm going to go for the two, two, two. So using part two as the first step we're going to talk about the first two murders that Vito does and then we're going to go to part one and compare it to the first two murders that Michael gives Michael does so it's two characters over two movies both having killed two people because I think this kind of gives a, a look into the heart of Vito and into the heart of Michael. And so the first two murders that we see Vito commit um, based off his age, so chronological um, in their internal lives. It's one of Don Fenucci and then of Don Ciccio. 
Um, these are the first two that we see. He might have killed more people. Um, and Michael definitely killed more people prior to his first two murders because he was in World War II. Uh, and I'm just yeah. making an assumption there. Um, but um, let's talk about that first murder of of um, Don Fanucci um, in part two. And, and what I want to really kind of lean on is the emphasis of why they happened um, and how it communicates their commitment and their differing commitments to family and respect and honor. Um, so for Vito, he kills Don Fanucci um, in the midst of the Feast of San Rocco which is named after a saint who is orphaned as a child and gives his wealth to the poor. Part two starts with Vito being orphaned as a child, his father and then his brother and then his mother are killed. Bless you. And Thank then you. once he finally started like making money, he does what he can to lift up the poor. Among him. Uh, and so his first murder is of Don Fanucci, the leader of the Black Hand. And so Don Fanucci is definitely not a family-oriented character. Rules by f- power and fear, which both absolutely counter Vito's Catholic Italian family values. And so in the middle of this, this festival, um, Vito takes a gun and, and point-blank point shoots Don Fanucci, but two or three, three times or four times, like once in the head afterwards to pr- mm-hmm. ultimately to protect Vito's own wife and children and to bring peace and safety back to their neighborhood. And Don Fanucci had been extorting people and threatening violence and committing violence. And at the, and, and right before shooting him in the movie, a priest speaks a blessing over the festival marking San Rocco's protection and provision for the needy, emphasizing, and this I'm writing, reading from what I wrote, that Vito's actions both align with, align with the church and fulfill the need of the day. So it's like, and then like, as he's walking away from the murder, there's celebratory fireworks exploding in the background. And he grabs his son, Michael, and says in, in Italian, Michael, your father loves you very much. Like, why did he murder him? To protect the neighborhood, to protect and love his family. And then the second one is of Don Siccio, who is the Don that uh, in Corleone, which is a place that uh, when Vito comes to America, he's ultimately named afterwards. His, his last name is switched to be Corleone. Um, and he never brings up his family name, um, with the exception of one moment in part two. And it's when he goes back to Corleone, He's part of an olive, business, olive oil business. Years later, Don Siccio's sitting at a, on a chair, uh, old, old man, terrible hearing, terrible vision. Here's his name. He starts laughing at him. He's like, you're named after the town? Like, who's your father? And he says, um, Robert De Niro, otherwise known as Vito, Corleone whispers, my father's name was Antonio Andolini, and this is for you. And at that point, he pretty much carves Don Siccio up in this really gruesome, like ripping Very into him. stylistic killing. 
Yes. Yeah. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of blood either at the moment. No. Yeah. Um. It's not not Quentin Tarantino's style. That's true. And that's the very first time that he uses um, his name, and the last time. Right? They're the Colleone family. They're not the uh, Endolini family. Um, but it's uh, honestly, it's a, in a way, it's it's a way of honoring his family, and like you feel for him because you know what this guy had done to his entire family. And then afterwards, um, and it's strangely enough, the only time um, in either film where we see Vito talking with the priest, he's Mm. standing talking to a priest outside of the church where a priest had smuggled him past as a kid Mm. to get to America and flee the the, um, Don Ciccio's uh, men who were trying to kill him. And so, like, that is who Vito is, right? His, his first two murderers were to protect his fa- family um, and injustice for his family. And in both cases, there's a direct relation of the church, the Catholic church, giving support of it mm. in the way that the movie's done. And then the first two murders that Michael does are both at the same time. They kill Solozo and McCluskey, who are the two, um, uh, yeah, who are a cop and whatever. Um, and he says that it's to protect his dad. Um, but his, his motivation is not protection. Um, and, um, the film makes that very clear because his brother, his stepbrother, his, his adopted brother, Tom's voice in the background says that the murders are not necessary, that there's a diplomatic solution that Vito would choose. Um, and there's a moment when he's preparing for the murders with a, a gun that's uh, had the numbers shaved off of it, that, so it's untraceable. Um, we see in Clemenza, who's the guy who gives him the gun, um, a pope on one wall and a naked woman on another. It's like this hypocrisy living together. It's in, in that hypocrisy, at least the way I see it, is Michael Corleone trying to live together with the Pope, you know, the Catholic Italian traditions, and the naked woman of like American secular secularization together. Hmm. And they don't they don't connect at all. And so what does he do? He goes straight into there and point blank, point blank range. Shoots them both. Shoots them both as a train is passing nearby in the midst of this hectic sound. In an Italian restaurant, drops a gun, walks out, and then what happens in his life? He, he has his one and only attempt at like living as his father did in Corleone, and it comes to a fail. Yeah. And I think you see their heart there. And I think that that is enough to see the entire direction of their lives. And I I love that. And I think that's one of the ways that these two movies just work together. Like part two, right? You know, the, it just continues from part one and it's telling the story. It's obviously paralleling Fido and Michael, but also tying in time and time again into part one. Hmm. How have they 
I mean, clearly there are movies that you have meditated on that you yeah. think about a lot. How have they shaped your... I think the way they've shaped me is most in terms of the way that I watch and the way that I kind of listen and dive into stories. Is that, that's what you were asking, right? Did I, I, yeah. How they shaped you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously I already touched base on kind of why I love them and kind of the ways that my family heritage kind of ties into it. Um, but I don't wa- rewatch these movies often um, mm. because at least since COVID started, I don't like watching things that aren't fun and happy. <laughs> um, it's just a personal piece of, I've, I've, and which I know has made me lose out on a lot of really great films and a lot of really great storytelling out there. Um, I think that if, I hadn't watched and meditated and written about and talked about and continually brought it up again. Um, the Godfather films. I don't think I'd love movies as much as I do. Hmm. I don't think I'd be able to see the way in which a film can bring you into the world. Um, in which a part two is confusing, <laughs> right the whole thing that's happening with michael and like all hyman roth like this whole piece and like cuba and like timing all these things it's confusing um yeah but it's confusing because it's a movie that doesn't tell you what's happening it shows you and it does it so well and it's so like, jarring at times and you're you have to like put together the pieces as it's going on um which i i really enjoy um, because it doesn't assume a, an idiotic, sorry, it doesn't assume a, <laughs> a, 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 a viewer who has no stake in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't assume um, somebody who's not actively participating. And like, that's what good art does. That's what good stories do, right? You are an active participant in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not just a passive consumer. Um, what is it like? What types of things like actually get your blood going? Like, like what are you going to cry about? Like, you're going to b- cry about something that you're active participant in. Like, mm. I I feel when and we didn't talk about the scene at all. When Kay says that she didn't lose the baby, that she had oh, an abortion. Yeah. Like, you feel that, and yeah. like, and that's a moment where you see Michael change because he would never hit his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father would never, ever, 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 ever even think about that. And and you feel for Kay, and you're like, like, who's the villain in this moment, or who's the who's the bad guy? Like, it's not Kay. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've I don't wa- rewatch these often because I don't feel like I need to. Um even though I know every time I watch them, I'll gather different things. And that's a good, another good thing that any good story does is if you um, rejoin it, you will gather something that you never saw before, no matter how many I've spent, I don't know, hundreds of hours, probably <laughs> well over a hundred hours thinking, talking, writing about this, these movies. 
And I watched it, you know, I watched part two again last week and all of a sudden I was gathering things that I'd never seen before hmm. or hadn't noticed before, you know, <laughs> and it's like, that's a, and, and again, like this is the ways that it's shaped me. It's, it's kind of opened my eyes to what is it that stories can do? How is it that stories can impact you? Not only can how stories you know, impact culture, because everybody knows the Godfather's everywhere. Um, I just noticed um, in the last two weeks that Zootopia has a Godfather. So oh, yeah. The Rodents of Redentia. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a Zootopia Plus right now that's like 10-minute episodes, 2-minute mm-hmm. episodes. And there's one of the Rodents of Redentia. Oh, okay. Uh, of like how the – I'm going to ice you. Like how the, the kingpin, yeah. how the mafia father um, like came to be. And it is a story that purposely replicates – Vito's uh, coming to power in part two. Yeah. Like I mean, they of, recreated the whole uh, wedding scene in the, in yeah. the movie. Yep. Yep. And then, but then in the, in the, the, the 10 minute episode, like same filming techniques and coloring. And then <laughs> instead of starting an olive oil business, he starts uh, a cannoli business uh, yeah. with his grandmother's cannolis. And like helps his family cross the sea, which isn't necessarily part of part two, but like it's just like he helps clean up the neighborhood and establishes the neighborhood, and his bodyguards are around him the entire time with these polar bears. And it's so it's it's, it's obviously shaped culture, um, but you know why does it shape? Why is a movie like that shape culture? Um, it's because of the way it tells a story is something that's both ultra specific. I mean, that, and also that's something that this is, is, it's so specific, right? It's about a particular family in a particular subculture at a particular time in a particular, you know, made up parallel type world. And yet it is so universal in good and bad ways. Like it is, the Godfather is quoted in hip hop all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's in, it's in the Muppets. And everything, um, and so I think this is just a great example of that, and maybe one of the first examples that really made me think about some of these things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, both both you know at the time and now retroactively, as I'm thinking back anachronistically onto my life <laughs> uh, and seeing the <laughs> pieces that were there, that the, the, noticing the patterns that I missed in the moment. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I. It's weird. I don't think I have a favorite scene, but I have a favorite feel, and I, yeah. I think that that's why I like part one so much. Is it has a feel, um, because it feels like family while also being clearly about the family. Right, yeah. Um, and it feels warm while also being very dark. Mm. Um, and like Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You know, <laughs> that whole scene. We didn't talk about that, right? Yeah, um, Luca like, Brasi. Fredo's character. I love him. Um, one of, oh yes, one of the guys. I can't remember who it is. 
um, one of the older generation, I look at and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's one of my uncles who <laughs> since passed away. My great uncles who since passed away. Like, they look the same to me. Like, I remember my great uncle by what this guy looks like. Uh, and it's hard. It's right. The, the first. It's it's about family. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it's and it doesn't do it in a cheesy way. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's about the loss of family, um, and and man, it's. I will gladly talk more about the Godfather, and I'm sure I will. The Godfather will come up as further episodes go on. Um, uh, well, it's a movie that I think has shaped a lot of movies. Yeah, uh, do because I think that's the thing that that struck me is I was initially skeptical of part two, I think in particular when I was watching it, because more recently I've seen some movies that I didn't like, but that tried to emulate the sort of great film feel of the mm. Godfather and using the, the kind of um, long shots that, that the Godfather has um, mm-hmm. and the, use of color and darkness and just all the like, you know, really well done cinematography Mm -hmm. and stuff. And there's been movies I've seen more recently that have done all of that and have really great cinematography and everything, but the story is just not good. I just, I just hated the story. (laughs) Um, And people just were like, wow, this movie's so great because Sub, I mean, they didn't say it consciously, but subconsciously, you know, it's it's great because it was they made it to look like it was the Godfather, or they try to emulate this kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. But the Godfather, Part One and Part Two, are actually good stories, um, yeah. with uh, a lot of great dialogue and um, interesting characters and a really kind of poignant story. And they're almost and, as revolutionary today as they were when they came out. Like yeah. how many, it, 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 a great story can stand up and they didn't rely on CGI or ropes or like yeah. anything fake. I mean, I like, I, I think I've realized that I like original things. I, I, I don't like derivatives that much. Um, there are exceptions, but in general, I like the original, uh, the originators of a certain uh, tradition or technique or style or something. And, and The Godfather, I think, is maybe not the first one to use all of those techniques. I think Citizen Kane is probably, I didn't actually like Citizen Kane that much, but it's an <laughs> earlier film that puts together a lot of different Mm-hmm. Um, cinematography techniques and stuff. Saying you don't like Citizen Kane is a very dangerous thing to say, Hunter. No, I know. It's. I mean, I I know it's a great movie, but I just I just didn't like it that much. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how you can? Like, I, I think that's one of the things I like is I know these are great movies and I actually enjoy them. Right. Um, yeah. But I also like. I I still think that the second movie's part two is better, but I enjoyed part one so much. I'd watch it. You know, four yeah. to one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think I would too. 
I would like to end us with with one quote. And we'll play pop goes the weasel to close us out. As <laughs> we lose our all of our tailiness. I was thinking we could do a scene or something. I don't know if there's a if that's too much, but yeah, we could do that. Um, well, let me read it. Read a little kind of quote, and then we can find a scene. Okay. The cost for bringing the Corleone family to the height of its criminal and political reign is the destruction of the actual Corleone family, the reason for which Vito came to power. I believe in America. America has made my fortune. I raised my daughter in the American fashion. I gave her freedom, but taught her never to dishonor her family. She found a boyfriend, not an Italian. She went to the movies with him, stayed out late. Two months ago, he took her for a drive with another boyfriend. They made her drink whiskey, and then they tried to take advantage of her. She resisted. She kept her honor. So they beat her like an animal. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered and held together by wire and she could not even weep because of the pain. I went to police like a good American. These two boys were arrested and brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison and suspended the sentence. Suspended sentence. They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool. And those... They smiled at me. Then I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to the Godfather. Why did you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? What do you want of me? Tell me anything. But do what I beg you to do. What is that? <laughs> that I cannot do. I'll give you anything you ask. We've known each other for many years. This is the first time you come to me for counsel, for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee, even though my wife is godmother to your only child. But let's be frank here. You never wanted my friendship, and you were afraid to be in my debt. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. You found paradise in America, had a good trade, made a good living. The police protected you. And there were courts of law, and you didn't need a friend of me. But now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter is to be married, and you ask me to do murder for money. I ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. Then they can suffer then, as she suffers. How much shall I pay you? 
Onocera. Onocera. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? Had you come to me in friendship, then this scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And that, by chance, if an honest man such as yourself should make enemies, then they would become my enemies, and then they would fear you. Be my friend. Godfather? Good. Someday, when that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Grazie, Godfather. Prego. Uh, give this to uh, Clemenza. I want reliable people. People that aren't going to be carried away. I mean, we're not murderers, despite of what this undertaker says. Thank you.